At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Are you trying to find the perfect distribution platform to get your music on Spotify and Apple? I personally use and love DistroKid. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash DistroKid to get a small discount and get access to a platform with unlimited uploads for a yearly fee. Happy uploading and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Mix of Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Ludacris Lou. That's pretty ludicrous. <laughs> Not the artist, the, no, the adjective no, just, ludicrous. Yes, yes. There you oh, go. I mean, yeah. But, uh, anyway, um, let's get into... Um, this ludicrous topic. <laughs> yeah, ludicrous <laughs> because we don't make mistakes. <laughs> we don't do this. We like We literally mistakes. have to lie on this one. Yeah, no, we're, li- we're lying the entire episode. The, uh, this episode is, uh, is, has been suggested by a longtime listener and a friend of ours, a new friend of ours, James Parrish, who's a mixer from Utah. Hey. Listen to uh, the podcast, moved out here, is now uh, working with us, assisting us at the studio. Um, shout out to you, James. Um, we are going to talk about 10 mistakes, so five each, 10 mistakes that we've made in our careers and what we learned from them. Um, also talking about how to avoid those same mistakes. So basically, learn from our pain is the topic today. And Lou and I both have five. Do you want me to do my five first and then you do your five or do you want to do like one each? We can do a tag team. We can do one at a time? Yeah. Okay, then I will start first. I'll do a really easy one. This is, I've got more than five, but I'm going to start with this one. This is a pretty good one. Um, big ego. Mm-hmm. Ego, more so, uh, it's okay to be confident, but in this sense, it was like with revisions. I used to hate revisions and be very open about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost a lot of clients. And, and see, like, it's not like I had a calculatable amount of clients that I lost. Yeah. But I probably rubbed people the wrong way and mm-hmm. it probably made people intimidated to work with me. Making a potential client or client intimidated to work with you mm-hmm. is just creating a barrier of trust that's like, it's unnecessary and difficult. I wish from the beginning of my career, I was more open with revisions that I wanted to collaborate. Um, and when they had something to say that I didn't agree with, that I kind of was, well, this is partially skill too. So it's hard to say this without, without it's only in retrospect. Like yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, there's no such thing as a better mix. It's really, I wish I, I wish I more fully took the time to understand what it means when the client is always right. Yeah. And I wish I didn't defend my own or like, I remember one time saying, I don't want to put my name on this project because it sounds bad. Yeah. Like if one, I wish I were to recognize that 
it sounds bad. It's still my fault. <laughs> yeah. And number two, regardless of whether or not it sounds bad, the most important part is the client having a good experience. Yeah. And, I, and there was even one specific time where I've, I think I've mentioned it in a previous episode of the podcast where I was, the client wanted to try some sort of delay throw or something simple. Maybe it was like a pitch shift or something mm-hmm. like that, like yeah. some sort of, and I fought her for, with about it for like 30 minutes. And quite frankly, in retrospect, I probably made her feel really stupid. Yeah. Like I didn't necessarily belittle, belittle her and call her stupid, but with the, with the actions, taken. with the attitude and the action and, um, I probably made her feel not good. And then we tried it and it ended up sounding good. And she's like, see, all you had to do is try it. And in that moment, I just sat in my own bullshit. And yeah. they're like, damn, I should have listened. And we don't work with each other anymore. Like that was the last yeah. song that we worked with each other. And it's like, it's not like a huge loss. Um, like she didn't get super huge or signed or anything like that. But like, it's more like I could have, I could have done better with that situation. Yeah. Um, and that's like a very specific scenario, but smaller things like things like that at a smaller scale happened all the time, especially in my younger years. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't do that. If if someone, a producer a couple months ago asked for a pretty, in my opinion, ridiculous request and I made it happen and I made it happen in a way that sounded good. Yeah. And I understood my role, which is a small part of the big machine, right? Yeah. Because um, when, when you work with like younger artists or like younger, smaller like smaller systems where it's just the, you and the artist, you play a big role, mm-hmm. right? They produce their own songs, they write their own music, they record themselves, and then you just mix it. Like you play a pretty big role. But as you go up the, the ladder, mm-hmm. you become less and less of an important role yeah. in the sense of like, there's 20 other people on the project. There's a hundred other people working and on this project. And there's a hundred other people that want to take your job. Yeah, so it's just so, like, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that pressure yeah. too. Because you're not trying to necessarily be a yes man but you're also trying to be the one that's not causing a clog in the works. Yeah. And so I wish I was just like more customer service oriented and mm. not even in the way of like being willing to take shit. Cause my other one I have is boundaries, which we'll talk about later, but like yeah. it's more in the sense that I wish that I was more emotionally stable, that I didn't feel like I had to defend myself. Yeah. You know, um, I think this is a pretty common one. I like that you bring this one up and not to say that like uh, your experience is common and that everybody's got it. I think everybody kind of runs through it at a certain point in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is like we become confident in our skill set so much so that we start believing that we are right and the creative is wrong because part of it is, yes, there is a technical aspect to our work. And if somebody doesn't understand it, it's pretty easy for us to kind of see ourselves as the resource more than we are like the teammate. You know, if we always see ourselves as more of a resource than a teammate, then we tend to land in that kind of demographic anyways. You yeah. know, at a certain point, you become the, 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 uh, uh what is it? Uh, the, the salty engineer, the saucy engineer. What is it? Uh, I forget what the, the anecdotal phrase is, but like the engineer that's kind of not a yeah, dick, we'll but like, like a just, salty one. Yeah. Just like, just an old school cat that yeah. thinks he's right. And, and to be fair. Like I Is recently, there ever, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I literally just had to deal with this on Saturday, so uh, two days ago, uh, where we had a concert. We were doing a dual console setup, so I was working Monitor World while the band brought their own front of house engineer. Cool, sent him up on the Yamaha CL5 
like $30,000 console if you include the snake and everything. Maybe if not more. Um, still, uh, Guy already had his show scenes loaded up and everything. Like he's worked this console before. But as soon as the DJ threw up uh, the faders for his channel, all you hear is just drowned in reverb DJ sense and everything. I'm like, something's wrong. And I go up to the DJ, uh, to the engineer. I'm like, hey, uh, it looks like you're like putting effects. He's like, nope, that's what he's sending me, this and that. And he's just kind of very arrogantly just telling me, he's like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. I go to his effects bus and I mute it. And I'm like, then tell me what's wrong right there. Because yeah. sometimes like if if you let your ego get in front of you, like we can be called out. It's not that we're always going to be right or wrong or whatever, but in a very creative space, what is right, what is wrong? Yeah. You know? And and I think it takes quite a bit of intelligence to recognize, self-awareness to recognize when you're wrong. And also, again, this is the hard part is I think with, have- with something that what we do, like, yes, people get better at mixing, yeah. but it's still subjective. Yeah. Like, I think it's, it's like people get better at making things sound a little bit more expensive, mm-hmm. a little bit more well thought, um, a little bit cleaner or smoother, whatever. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I've improved significantly on how to deal with clients and how to translate what they're saying mm-hmm. with technical, practical tools yeah. to reach their desired destination. What is it? You don't really know it unless you can explain it to a five-year-old. That's kind of, unfortunately, our job, not to say that creatives are five-year-olds, but like if they don't know the technical terms or something or how it works, you just kind of have to elaborate it as simple as possible just to get the message across so that you can have an effective conversation. But um, I feel like you have to be wrong at a certain point in order for you to be able to recognize that you're in the wrong. If you're always right, then you've never experienced yourself being wrong. Then how would you ever be able to catch yourself? How would you ever know? Yeah. You know, so at a certain point, it's okay to be wrong and have made a mistake. I think part of it is, and I don't know if you've ever talked to the artist again, is like reaching out to the artist and being like, hey, you know, hindsight, I'm kind of just looking at the situation. I just wanted to reach out, let you know my current thought. Yeah. You know, because I feel like. If there was ever any intention of ever working with somebody again, this this is just for anybody in general. Just like if you feel like you missed out on an opportunity because of ego, then I think it's kind of the right call to just say, hey, um, just wanted to let you know I had an ego at the time and I really did enjoy working with you. I, I'm not asking for any new work. I'm just saying that like if I ever made you feel a certain way, um, that was my intention. Yeah. And I think that these mistakes are like they're important mistakes. Like yeah. and I think it's like you hard have to, to make them. Yeah, like it's it's hard to recognize when you're being an idiot until yeah. you become an idiot and then see it in retrospect. And that's why I always tell you, I'm like, DK, I need you to keep being honest with me because if I'm being stupid and do something wrong, just tell me. Yeah, like, and it's like, and it's really hard for like yeah. neurotic creatives to continue to be direct and honest. Like we're not in this yeah. because we're direct and honest. Like we're in this because we're unable to communicate thoughts and feelings unless it's in song. We found a creative way to talk. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a very normal way. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, like, like with Keisha Cole, like this, she is, I mean, her branding is, is she can kind of be that outspoken, She's strong very direct. female direct thing. Yeah. But in person, she has a very hard time communicating her thoughts and feelings. Yeah. She's, like she's not she's the best at communicating. Like, she's very like soft-spoken. She will be direct once it gets to a certain point where she needs to be direct. But sometimes it's like, oh, you know, just... Or just when she's direct, right. it's, it's in the wrong direction. Yeah. You know, so it's like, it's not exact. Like, you know what she's trying to say is different from what's coming out of her mouth. And I think that's like pretty... And the reason why I bring this up is because, I mean, 
she we people know her we know her personally yeah this is a good example this happens to everybody mm-hmm. and so it's like we need to set that expectation is that not everybody is able to properly fully articulate everything as well as receive they don't want it to receive direct so it's like just be just like be they humble can let and, you know what they're looking for but it's kind of on you to have that built communication level yeah you got you got yeah. to be aware of that the yeah. sort of weaknesses that people have we're not in a you know, we're not in a mentally tough field where people yeah. are just like alpha males and alpha women and just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> where it's just like, don't yes give or no. a shit. It's, it's a bunch of like, to be honest, a lot of the art that comes from our sector comes mm-hmm. from a lot of broken places, which yeah. is great, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and so, and we're very open and honest about it. And let's sometimes, anyway, so I think there's, I want to know about your number one. Uh. I actually was going to switch my number one for something closer related to what you just said. Um, so I've always been the type of person that thinks like communication is kind of big. I'm not the greatest at it. And that's how I especially know that it's a very big detail because anytime I have something going wrong, it's usually communication. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, I spent a lot of time kind of like asking myself, like, why certain opportunities weren't available? Uh, What is it that I'm doing wrong? Um, And I would kind of like brainstorm on my own a lot and like spend hours trying to figure out solutions, different plans or methods of attack, this and that. When in reality, I could have just asked. And that's Mm, that's mistake number one for me. Not asking. Not asking, whether it be opportunity, clarification or something of that nature, because, um. You know, running back to Saturday's show, like uh, Los Cafres is a is a great band. They're amazing Spanish ska. If you're into that, um, like they're they're a really really well known group that's been around for like thirty plus years. But um, their tech writer, though elaborate, was not detailed. Uh, so one of the messages I sent out uh, was like, "Hey, just out of curiosity, is the lead and backing vocals wireless mics?" And they're like, "Don't you have our tech writer?" I'm like. Okay, we're going to go this route. I sent a screenshot of what the input list said, and all it said is Mike Gaffres. It didn't say what mic. It didn't say what model. It just said that they were going to bring a mic. So I needed to know whether to run cables to the console, to the snake, to where the mic is supposed to be. Like, where am I running these cables, right? Um, I sent him a screenshot. I'm like, hey, uh, unfortunately, this is what you sent me, and it doesn't really specify what it is. So I just wanted to reconfirm before doing all this work. Uh, to set that up for you. And they're like, oh no, it's actually wireless. Yeah. Sorry about that. Thanks for double checking. I'm like, cool. Um, you know, the response like, didn't you get our tech writer is kind of passive aggressive. Maybe if we had a better form of communication or details were there, we wouldn't have to have that little moment. But because I asked, we were able to diffuse a situation that could have been a problem later. And in that specific scenario, both parties, and this is normal. I was going to mm-hmm. say this is normal and this is... um a sign of being an emotionally mature adult is that both parties, uh, he said, oh, wait, you're right. Thanks for letting us know. And you said, you could have been like, I'm not stupid. You're fucking wrong. And you could have blown up at him. But he said, but you pushed back. You're like, wait, wait, hold on. Let me show you what I'm seeing. Yeah. This is for both of us. And then they said, they didn't get offended. They were like, oh yeah, you're right. It is wireless. They, yeah. Either party, you or them, could yep. have blown up. And that's normal. Like, people are very, at a younger age, very emotionally mature, immature, yeah. even adults sometimes. Yeah. Um, but that's a good example of, like, ego playing. Yeah, because I always tell people, like, if there's a problem, whether it be in the studio or live or anywhere, I'm like, just throw them my way. Like people I'm are very not- good at diffusing an issue. Yeah, and it's, without it's so, high tension. 
it's so important. Like, yeah, again, going back to my point, and I think your mm-hmm. point too, it's like, and this is just being an adult and being yeah. emotionally mature. Most people aren't trying to make things personal. Like it's yeah. not a personal attack on you yeah. and you should almost never take it personally. Yep. Like if they want a difference, it's not because your taste sucks. Like if they ask for a revision, <laughs> it's not because your taste sucks and you should take that personally. It's like they have different tastes and, and, and I'm able to provide it. for it. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's yeah. whatever. It's not personal. It never is meant to be. It's a great sign of emotional maturity. Like how many well. times do we see like artists blowing up over like genre bending? And it's like, oh, you always do folk. And I really like the way you do your folk, but I want to do hyper folk. It's like, what the fuck is hyper folk? Now yeah. we're adding 808s. What is this? Should trap hi-hats? What is this? Yeah. You know, but, um, you know, just to wrap up on the um, never asked to cause loss of opportunity. Uh, the opportunity isn't just like to dissolve issues. Like it, communication in all forms helps. But imagine looking for opportunity. Yeah, if you want to be a doctor, you should. Go ask a doctor what it takes to be a doctor. If you want to go be the next big engineer, you should go talk to the next big engineer and just ask, hey, uh, you know, what would it take for me to work with somebody along you? Like, what are some goals that I can set up or what are some things that I can educate myself on now that would make me that much more of a resource for you in the future? You know, all you have to do is ask. And the funny thing is, um, I remember a couple of years ago, I was watching an interview where they asked Elon Musk what one of his, uh, not Elon Musk, it was uh, Steve Jobs, um, back when he had a full head of hair. Um, but um, there was this old interview where, you know, they're asking him, like, you know, what's, what's the difference between people who do and people who don't? And he said, people who ask. Mm. Uh, that when he was 12 years old, uh, he called, I forget what computer company, that he wanted to uh, create a frequency checker or something of that nature. And he asked for spare parts and that they ended up giving him a job at the warehouse assembling frequency checkers. That's crazy. Um, yeah. But to think that like the dude is calling, you know, the the owners of computer companies at 12 years old. And the difference really was just all you had to do is ask if you wanted opportunity, you have to tell them you're interested in that opportunity and they'll take note of who's actually asking for it. Because how many times uh, and you you can tell me this. How many times have we had an intern staff member um, that has come and gone, but never once actually voiced interest in like future uh, progression. And because of that, it goes unnoticed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nothing personal. It's just, you never said anything. We didn't know you were interested. Like we, we understand the point of the internship is to learn. Most of the time. Yeah. But if you don't tell me directly, like, Hey, I want to do this. Hey, can I be tested on this? Hey, can you teach me this? Then I don't know what specific things you need help with. But if you tell me that's why we have office hours, then I'm happy to teach you. And that's the thing, too. It's like if you are working hard and you ask, I might still say no, but I won't be upset that you asked. Yeah. Now, if you aren't working hard and you aren't proving yourself and you ask without being reliable, I might be like a little bit bugged by it. But even then, it's still worth at least asking. Yeah, because at that point, we might say like, hey, you know, thank you for the interest, but like, this is what we've seen. And now we can let you know what metrics you were probably lacking in for us to like really take consideration. This uh, Talking about all this stuff is making me also realize I want to do an episode with you. Maybe the next one, we talk about five things that we did right okay. as well. Yeah. But let's go on to number two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe this is something personal. I believe that when you're younger and starting off your career, or even if you're doing this as a hobby, if you want the experience... Um, I think everybody at the beginning stages should say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's like, you don't do live sound. I've never done it before, but you're being asked, can you do live sound? I fucking say yes. 
Yeah. Like you, you've never done post-production audio or Foley work. Say yes. Say yeah. yes to composing for that student film and animation, whatever. Even if you have no experience. Say yes to mixing. Say yes to producing. Say yes to songwriting. Say yes to everything at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, if you're not getting paid or if you're getting paid very little, it's very hard to fuck it up to begin with. Yeah. And then also, I mean, what you find out that you don't like doing is good information. Mm-hmm. Um, what you find out that you do like doing is good information. Um, but that's, those are good things. But I will say on that, the mistake that I made, number two is I wish that I combination of said no to, to free stuff faster, mm-hmm. transition into paid work faster, or I wish that I didn't half-ass my clients. Ah. So for example, like as I was charging more, the clients that got grandfathered and were paying less, I would start to get annoyed by them. Yeah. You know, and then, or like the free clients that's like that they're somehow stayed free because I, they were my friend and I just started charging. But now, you know, I started getting annoyed by them yeah. and that, that nature, which is normal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that that's un- really unfortunate, but if I was in better control and with the knowledge that I have now, I wish that I would have at least finished up those free to discounted projects mm-hmm. with a smile on my face and just, just took it. Yeah. Like I wish I didn't, because not only did I potentially do worse on their projects, but I potentially um, left that customer unimpressed mm-hmm. and less desire desire to hire me again when they do have the budget to hire me at my right price. Yeah. So I wish I was a little bit more in control of my facial expression, my nonverbal mm-hmm. cues, and I was wish I was a little bit more excited to work with. What everyone. is it? Micro expressions. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> no, but I, I wish yeah. that's like an ego thing too. But I just wish there's a few specific instances where it's like they told me that I was obviously, and maybe it was because I was just fucking tired. I was overworking. Yeah. I was really f- tired. Well, you, uh, there was that year that you did a thousand plus mixes. Yeah, thousand nineteen, right? So it's yeah. like there was a few clients that friends that became friends, and they like told me it's like yeah, I could tell when you like you like this song you didn't like and this song you did like like even between mm-hmm. songs with the same artists or like some artists they're like no I, I could tell you didn't want to work with me and like that's i wish i did a better job with that not because of the lost earnings but lost uh i guess you'd say section of that relationship yeah because like, i think i would have liked to work with them too like it was yeah. fun working for them but i just wasn't you know, I was under sleeping. I wasn't sleeping enough. So would you say that, I guess, the the surmised view of this one is like saying, I guess, learning to say no, even if it's the same client? Either saying no. I wish I'd said no sooner. So like, for example, I found out pretty quickly that I don't want to produce. Like producing is very mm-hmm. emotionally dependent. Like if I'm feeling good that day, I can produce. Yeah. But like mixing, I can do whether I'm feeling good or feeling shitty. Like I could yeah. be, I could be on the edge of full on depression <laughs> and still, still be mix. able to mix the shit out of yeah. a song. I yeah. cannot produce if I'm feeling depressed. Yeah. You know, but arguably speaking, some people might be able to, maybe that's their vibe. Maybe. Yeah. Just no, depressing the, the, music. But for me, for me, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So I wish I would have said no to people more often and which stood up for myself a little bit more often, mm-hmm. um, which kind of goes into boundaries, which we'll talk about. My, I think that's my number three. But um, but I also wish that for the people that I did say yes to, mm-hmm. that I worked hard to maintain that relationship a little bit more. 
We're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Tegler Audio based out of Berlin. Tegler makes fantastic analog pieces of equipment. Everything from compressors, both tube, VCA as well, from reverbs to recording channel strips to tube summing mixers and to my favorite piece that I personally own and have and use is the Schwarcraft machine, which is digitally controlled compression, 11 different types of compressor. I mean, this thing is built to the brim with tubes and transformers it's fantastic they have digitally controlled analog gear which i'm a huge huge fan of they've got two different pieces of that they've got 500 series gear so whether you're a tracking engineer a mixing engineer or a mastering engineer you need to check out this high quality company tegler and guess what their prices they're not they're not crazy they're mid-range prices for high-end equipment they're like a fantastic company. We love them so much. And if you want 10% off any of their gear, you can go to their website directly or from their shop directly, or I'll link it in mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Tegler, T-E-G-E-L-E-R, and use the code MMPOD to get 10% off your next order. Now back to the show. So I think I have a point that kind of lands between this and your number three. Okay, um, what's that? So this is your number two? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So... Uh, where'd I put it? Agreeing to a job that I had no interest in, uh, parentheses, results won't carry the same quality as those I've been genuinely into. So saying yes to projects, even if they're paid, but regretting it because you just weren't into it. I just wasn't into it. Yeah. So, and part of that could be the person and part of that could be the song. Um, I think it's very important for you to say no to people. Uh, I I don't care how good of a song it is if if the person is just a bad person and I'm not saying just bad person blanket, to you bad person yeah it's just maybe bad people to work with maybe good person to be a friend with but maybe bad person to do business with um, I think that you need to identify what it is with people so that you can better make decisions later and you don't have to tie your life around something that you'll regret if you're saying yes to a record that you really don't like it's going to show in the results and I think both me and you have experienced that as like you just For explained sure. like I know I've listened to songs where they're like oh can you mix this and the recording is so bad but i've already agreed to the project where i'm like i, I mean almost, even now i don't know. i don't say yes to mixes even if they have a budget until i hear the song yeah exactly like i just i'm sorry like i want to hear it first and so nowadays like when people are like uh if it's a new client and i'm not familiar with their music i ask them can you send me the music first if it's a client that i know consistently is doing good work and we work well together then sure, you might have one bad song. I, I don't mind. Um, I'm going to still work as hard as I can because I like you as a person. But if I don't know you as a person and you show me a song that I'm not into, it's going to be really hard for me to want to engage into the record the way I would for a record that I do like or for a person I do like. This is interesting because like in an ideal situation, if I was in an ideal situation, I wish that how much I'm getting paid for something didn't affect my enthusiasm for the yeah. project. I wish that how bad or good the song was didn't affect my enthusiasm for the project. Yeah. Unfortunately, it does. Par- yeah. Maybe partially due to a weakness. Maybe that's just human nature. Maybe that's nothing to my fault. But regardless, I am affected by how yeah. little someone pays. I am affected by how bad a song is. Mm-hmm. And thus, I'm not just protecting myself. I'm protecting the client. Yeah. When I say no because I don't think your song is rocks, 
you know, or I don't find potential in it. It's not because I have an ego. It's because I don't want to do the disservice of giving you something that I only half-ass. So I'm like, I'm creating systems to prevent my number two or which is to half-ass something. So like, I'm not saying no because you don't have the budget because I'm not willing to bend. But it's, the fact is, if I really accepted your budget, yeah, what you're not, you're not going to be happy with the work that I put in. So it's like, I'm protecting the client as well. It's like, don't let me waste your money. Yeah. So it's, it's not, I like some people say like improve that weakness of not liking stuff or not being enthusiastic about Mm -hmm. getting paid enough. I would say just set up the barriers and the boundaries to say no to stuff. So you don't ever have to put yourself in a situation where you're unhappy with what the amount that you're putting paid or something like that. I think a big part of that is one, you grow to a point where you can say no to things at a certain point. You do have to say yes to everything, but I think, um, also to discover what the heck you like. I think exactly. saying yes to everything is like a great way to, cause you might find out that you like film composing, but you would have never known that unless you but said yes. Once you start figuring it out, as soon as you start doing that, you should start saying no to certain things. Mm. Yeah, the reason being is just like, why, why chase your tail trying to make yourself like something? You might have come in and said, I want to be a recording engineer. And you stay a recording engineer for a long time. And then you start disliking it. You should start moving on to the next thing. You don't have to cut cold turkey, but you should start cutting out the clients that kind of make you feel like you're losing the passion for it. And that's kind of the route I started taking. Um, oh, that's I'm adding that to my yeah. list. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I say like... Um, Agreeing to a job that I had no interest in, um, that could be beginning or it could be middle or it could be at the end of your career. It doesn't really matter what stage it is in. If you no longer like it, whether it's the relationship with the person or the type of music that you're working on, maybe you're looking at rebranding and you're not interested in working on the music you used to work on. Maybe you just want to do straight hard EDM in the future, then start denying the rock stuff if that's not something you're interested in so you can fully focus on what you are interested in because if all you ever did was rock and you were great at rock but now you're starting to put rock in the backseat and you're no longer going to do the same quality work then you're doing a disservice like you said to your client so part of it is agree on what inspires you so that you always work with a level of inspiration um and just deny everything you don't want to deal with and yes i i promise you you're going to lose a lot of money doing this but you're also going to make a lot more efficient money doing this. Yeah, and you're, and I think you're going to like your clients a lot more often yeah. too. And, and I think in the of that, end of the game, lifetime earnings, I think is going to go up. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I, I would argue in agreement with uh, when you talked to Bob Horn and you mentioned on the podcast, like he potentially made more money because we we don't have the paperwork to show. But if Bob says it's true, like he's such a good guy, I don't see why I'd ever deny it. But if he made more money putting up boundaries than he did when he took, said yes to everything. I'm sure he's factoring like time per, uh, like dollar per I think hour. He, I think he meant it as like, he didn't, he wouldn't have lost so much money that would have made it not worth it. Yeah. So like he, he would have lost some, but think about it. But this, he would have like, been happier and he wouldn't have had He can go home stuff. at night. He can go home to his wife and enjoy dinner and stuff. Like um, he's got more time available on his hands, which is something that he, didn't have before that so i would say your dollars per hour probably averaged out and in in his in his scenario it's so it's so real because the stress that was created that he accepted Mm -hmm. not only is it it's really inspiring the amount of shit that he was able to take right yeah but at the same time in his scenario it directly correlated and triggered the health issues that he had yeah so he like even currently is still recovering from health stuff um, 
from the decades of just totally being okay with abuse. So it's like, there's yeah. like this boundary thing. Uh, I want to go into my number three, if that's cool. Let's do it. Is, is boundaries. And, and I want to say about this, it's like, it's not, it's different from number two and number one. I, this is more about like lifestyle um, as protecting my emotions and protecting my lifestyle and my priorities. I wish I was more clear with my priorities. I wish I was more clear with my values. Mm-hmm. And I wish I said no to things for different reasons. Not because I don't want, not because I want to make money or because I want to work with artists that I like more. But this time I'm talking about like, first off, like expectations with sleep. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. it wasn't, it didn't become like having kids is so important because it makes you realize having like good sleep schedule becomes so much more important because you don't have a choice. Like if you are poor sleep schedule, you don't get to see your kids. And yeah. like, obviously if you're a parent, you want to see love your kids, your kids right? Yeah. So you want to see your kids. So, um, their priorities change. Uh, I wish that even before I was had kids that I stood up for my boundaries. I don't mm-hmm. work with people past the time, past this time, whether it was the weekend or a specific weekday. I wish I said no. I wish I had one to two days minimum where I took off completely, like had the courage to not even open up my email. I specifically yeah. said courage because I think as a natural workaholic, I think it takes, <laughs> yeah. it takes a little bit of courage to not look at my emails, to not answer texts because yep. there is that FOMO. Yep. There's that opportunity. Like I need someone last minute. Yep. I need that email last minute. Oh, you lost it because you didn't respond soon enough. You know, there's the fear of that happening. Rarely yeah. does that ever happen. If that, ever. that was my battle yesterday, enjoying a nice day with Anna. It's the one day off I have. And there was still the thought in my head. And I even voiced it to her. I'm like, I might have to go to the studio to like turn in three masters. And like, I had to keep telling myself, I'm like, it can wait till Monday. It can yeah. wait till Monday. Having the courage. That's right. Yeah. So I wish I was, I stuck up for myself a little bit more. I wish, um, I mean, it's it's a common. It, it was a formerly a common thing to hear that producers and engineers are uh, engineers are the producers' punching bag, and the, the producer is the A and R. Yeah, it's the punching bag. And like, instead of going into it with that expectation, like understanding where the, my boundaries are. For example, I'm willing to be your punching bag as long as we play within my boundaries. Yeah. But if you're like, as soon as you start to overset my boundaries, like I don't do, I don't work after six p.m. Mm-hmm. Like I don't work on the weekends in this now. Yeah. Right. But back then it was more flexible. I could have like probably taken Monday or Tuesday off. Yeah. You know, instead of the weekend because weekends were busier. I could have said 9 PM instead of like, you know, whatever it is. And I wish I was just more considerate of not only my feelings, but at the time I was married, mm-hmm. new freshly married. So I wish I was more considerate of my wife's feelings. Yeah. I don't. And, and quite honestly, in retrospect, I don't remember caring about my wife's feelings. Yeah. I don't remember considering changing my hours I work into office because of how my wife felt. So my three is actually the same because that's what it ties into at the end of the day on my end. Yeah. yeah. Well, hold, on, hold on. The last yeah. thing that I want to say about number three is mm-hmm. with the boundaries, I also wish I considered not just lifestyle and values, but also passion for the craft. I didn't yeah. realize how easily and how quickly my passion for music could completely tank yeah. to like existential levels. Like, why the fuck am I doing music? I hate <laughs> this shit. Yeah. Like, the I should have had boundaries in order to protect my precious and quite frankly, relatively fragile passion that I have. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was, no, no, that was no, my it's, number three. it's, it's honestly a big one. Cause, um, so for me on the boundaries end, cause, um, let me see, um, took jobs even on days off or off days. You know, if you, if you're trying to maintain any kind of like joy in this, 
there's two huge things that like just I can't go without. You have to have like a life. You have to because um, I've talked about it on different interviews and everything like uh, me and Anna almost broke up twice over like my work ethic. And it wasn't that like uh, there wasn't like any kind of like, um, I guess, communication of like, oh, I need to work or this and that. But it was so often that there were times where like we're trying to go out, but I'm like, I just got a call. I got to go to the studio. You know, you're putting your work in front of everything else. And at a certain point, you're going to burn out. But you can also burn your relationships. And, and not just so, like, not just significant others, but like yeah. friends and family. As yeah. Well. Even, even the work, like if you're working yourself so hard that you have to take delays on other things. And that's a gentle balance too, because at the beginning yeah. we, we all agree. I think a majority of people will agree that in the beginning, early stages, primarily in the years where you can live off of pizza and ramen every day. Yeah. yeah. It's good to say yes to everything and kind yeah. of overwork yourself, but there's going to be a threshold or a point where it's no longer beneficial. Exactly. So and that's different for everybody. It is. Like for us, it was very much like, um, we were talking about this the other day where we were talking about like, you know, our want to have kids, um, our want to move, like uh, like we might be looking at places in Alhambra, Riverside, whatever, like we're, we're trying to get like a place. Um, but part of that thought process to me also has become uh, where like I get asked, so she's like, well, what are you going to do at work? You work mainly in LA. I'm like, well, you know, the funny thing is majority of the work that I do is in my office and I do work in the studio and all that, but I can always just drive out this and that. But it's like, if I put everything to a schedule, I don't see why it wouldn't just work out, which is not a mindset I had before. Before, like you said, um, me and Anna got married, what, uh, two months ago at most now. Um, but before that, we were in a 13 year long relationship. And the times that we almost broke up is because of exactly that. I didn't really consider how Anna was feeling about my work. I just wanted to work. Like we talked about having kids when we were younger and I said, I'm not ready because I want to focus more on what I'm doing, which I think is a, a fair response. If if you know you're not ready, I don't want to ever want to look at my kids with regret, but you never want to like act this way if you did have kids either. Like if you had kids and you're just ignoring your kids, if you have a wife and everything, you don't want to just be ignoring your wife because as hard as you're trying to push, you might be pushing away like the little bit that you need outside of your work because you need time off. You need to actually just say no. Sometimes I'm taking a day off and walk away. Just disconnect. Don't look at your computer screen. Turn that shit off. Uh, if you have any clients that call you, just tell them like, hey, unfortunately, I'm, I'm just not there. I'm sorry. Like, I know you need it, but I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because um, I mean, I took the opposite approach where mm -hmm. it's like I didn't feel like I was ready. But I wanted kids and my desire to have a family and start a family was so strong that I didn't care that I was ready. I just didn't and want I to became be, ready. Yeah. It forced me to become ready. It encouraged me to become ready. Um, so I it's, think it's I just a different approach. It's yeah. not, not one's better than the other. Yeah. I think I was in the mindset of like, as much as I want, because I do want kids, but as much as I want them, I don't want to be the one that like ever, ever sees regret in the idea of like, damn, I could have done X, Y, Z if I didn't have X, Y, Z responsibility. And I never, uh, I wanted to be in a position where I was more mentally ready to take on that responsibility, which I know everybody says you're never ready, this and that, blah, blah, time flies. Yes. But I was also like a very, um, I'm, I still consider myself a very selfish person, but I could definitely tell that I was much more selfish back then. And I just wanted to focus on me and not on a family. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, we're all selfish at all times, right? And yeah. especially when we're younger and we, we're more naive. Um, I was going to say, for me, I think the better decision was to have kids young. 
Yeah. I think that was the better decision for me. Now, I'm not going to say that that's the best decision for everybody else, but at no point, I think that if I had waited, it wouldn't have been good for me. I think I would have stayed childish. I think that I would have um, been less emotionally mature. I don't think I would have been full-time with music, actually. Yeah. I genuinely think that full-time with music is partially because of my decision. Whether it was rational or irrational, doesn't matter. My decision to have kids early, I was married, had kid, my first kid when I was like 24, 25, mm-hmm. 24. 24. Right. And, um, that was, that was a turning point for me. And I mean, obviously you were able to go full-time with music without kids. So yeah. it's like that maybe that wasn't the best. For, I don't know. But for me, yeah. there's an obvious line when things took a major change. Yeah. Um, and so, and for me, that was kids. Anyway, um, yeah. we're not going to get more into that. Number four for me mm-hmm. is this is like very specific and practical. Now we're going to talk about finances. Um, I wish I, well, you have to get burned to figure out how not to get burnt. Yeah. Right. Like you have to lose some money or people run away with project files and like never pay you, you yeah. know, having to chase a few people down. Shout out to file pass, you know, go on vacation and realize that you didn't set up systems to like, you know, fuck around and find out everything collapsed while you're gone. That happened multiple times. Um, so I think that number four for me is I wish that I was better with my communication. One, Never, ever set up discounts or deals or agree to free work or anything over the phone. Never agree to anything over the phone. Or well, even I'm going to say a third time. Verbal. Verbal. Ne- verbal in person. Yeah. Never agree to anything over the phone or in person. You always need to have ink and paper. I'm going to add another thing as well is that I learn whenever you give deals and discounts or agree to free work or anything like that, you always have an expiration date. Yeah. Yeah. And again, have that in writing. I am willing to do half off because you're the man. I love you. But if you don't send me the project files within two months, you're going to have to renegotiate with me. Yeah. And setting that expectation. I wish that I was less embarrassed or because at the beginning, it feels like it's awkward to talk about money. It, like that's it feels pretty a little normal. too corporate. Yeah. It feels, it feels like you're taking the art out of it. And that's why it's like even people that are super advanced levels mm-hmm. still feel that way. Hence why managers are great because managers can help negotiate on your behalf and see the value in you more than you can see it in yourself. So they can yeah. negotiate more money for you as well as not talk about all the money for you so you don't have to worry about that side of it. Yeah. Right. Um, but in the beginning stages, I wish I was less embarrassed to talk about money. I wish I talked about money up front because then what you do is that when, after you do the awkward thing about talking about money, the rest of the process becomes fun. Yeah. It's, you don't have to wait for this thing. I wish I didn't procrastinate that. I wish I didn't feel awkward about it. I wish that I realized that that was actually beneficial for both me and the client. Mm-hmm. So to get, just get that out of the way. Um, I, yeah, again, agreeing to everything over pen, whether it was text, whether it's email, um, to this day, if I agree to something, which I agreed uh, quite often to things, you know, fairly often as we all do, um, always, if I do it over the phone, I always ask them, text me and I put it on their shoulders, yeah. text me exactly what we said what we agreed to right now or email me right now before like right after we hang up or else none of this applies. And I set that expectation for the beginning because see, at the end of the day, if, if even as something as simple as the client goes into the studio and smokes and you had no smoking rule, they mm. can always say, Oh, whoops. I, I didn't, didn't know, know, bro. Didn't know, That's bro. That's why we have the, 
We have a no smoking policy check box we have that you signs, understand. We have no yep. we have three times you agreed to the policies. We let you know in person. We put a sign on the parking spot just so people know we'll tow you if it's not one of our clients. At the, yeah, at the end of the day, if you agreed to something and you forgot about it yep. or it's been way too long and you didn't set an expiration date, it is now I would go as far as to say it is almost 100% your fault. Yeah. So like if you get burned because you didn't set the right expectations, it's your yeah. fucking fault. You know, so it's yeah, really, yeah. really important to bring up stipulations, have a policies website at the very least. Make sure you agree to these things. Make sure you over communicate these things uh, and avoid being burned. Again, you know? I use FilePass. We're sponsored by FilePass. No. If you'd like to go into FilePass, which is uh, one of the websites where you can actually send files and prevent them from downloading it. There's no way that you can go into the HTML and break the code and download it again. But it yeah. uploads the full full wave file in high resolution and the original resolution. And they can leave comments, timestamp comments, um, file pass. So once again, that's mixmusicpodcast.com slash file pass. That's what Lou and I use to send files to clients. I can also invoice them through file pass. So they can't download it until they pay for it. Once they pay for it, it automatically, while I'm sleeping, opens up the files, access to the file so they can then download the files. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's actually a really good service. Um, but I've but, ne- ever since I started using FilePass, I've lost zero dollars getting burned. Yeah, not a single penny. Only time I've ever been burned is when they're like, "Oh, uh, I just haven't paid." It's like, "Well, that's on you. The work is done." So either way, I'm not giving you but the files it's, it's, until yeah, it's yeah, done. Yeah. yeah, so go ahead and pay. But what I do is uh, I do a deposit system on it where I just create one invoice uh, and then have them send me the files, then re put uh, a balance of the other half. That way I can still send files. The payment is tracked on the thing. You can see the invoices. It's all there. You know, it's easy. Yeah. And if I agree to do something for like points or something like that, Mm -hmm. um, I don't need to have like a really, at the very least, if I don't need to have, I don't need to have a really well-written paid a lawyer for their time contract. Just having some sort of explicit written agreement signed by both parties or like even just a response email being like, yes, I agree to these terms. Mm-hmm. Like that's enough where there's like a paper trail where it's like, hey, here's the terms that I agree. And then they respond with, yes, I agree to these terms. Like that's enough to be really useful. Yeah. And like, you're never going to, it costs a lot of money to take someone to court. So you're really never going to take someone to court at the beginning no. stages, even in the later stages, depending on what what earnings you're missing out on. If you're missing yeah. out if on you're potentially missing millions, bucks, then it's like, it's not what? even worth yeah. What are you going to do? Go to small claims. Sometimes it's worth it, but um, yeah. Imagine being so broke that you have to go to court for $500. That's insane to me. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Isn't small claims like a minimum of 2000? No, no. Uh, yeah. I don't remember what it is. I think it has to be a few hundred dollars or something or like, no, I think it has to be below 2000. Oh, oh I like think. Oh, yeah. um, but um, anyway, going on about this, I wish I was just, better at setting expectations, setting up that communications. I wish I didn't shy away from the money talk. Mm -hmm. And I wish that, again, not for just the selfish benefit of myself, but for the benefit of them, I wish I could have created more free, emotionally open and honest relationships and thus more creatively open and honest sessions. Yeah. um, If I had just talked about the hard stuff first. Yeah. So that kind of ties into mine, which is not communicating a rate beforehand, which uh, I put it as like my little uh, note to myself, like resulting in a loss of time slash trust and respect for yourself, not necessarily the client, 
which t- kind of ties into yours end, which is like saying like, hey, if you didn't communicate certain details of your rate or expectations of how you do business in advance and they are suddenly surprised, but you literally never told them. Like if you said, um, you know, uh, I sure I can mix the song. I'll just charge you after. And then you tell them it's $2,000 for the mix. And they were expecting like your old rate or something. You never communicated oh, that theft. there was a change. That's theft. Yeah, that's fucked I've gotten, up. I've gotten death threats from an assistant of mine doing that to their clients. Yeah. I've gotten three death threats. And see, that's kind of the funny thing where it's like, you know, it takes no time to communicate it, but it takes balls to communicate it, which is, listen, I understand you may be new, but at a certain point, you have to learn to stand on your own two feet and just say, this is my rate. This is what I charge. If you don't want to pay it, we can either recommend you to somebody else or we can find a middle ground. Um, I don't want to work on projects where I feel like I'm undervalued. And that's it. That's the bulk of the conversation. Like, you don't have to say, I think you're undervaluing me. All you have to say is, this is my rate. Can you agree to this now? But if you don't communicate your rate or how you do business, your turnaround times and things of that nature, what is included in your rate, what is not included in your rate, and then you suddenly get asked about it because they kind of expected it to be part of it, it's, like you said, it's kind of your fault. Like, you should have set expectations. Like, what is mixing? Is vocal tuning included? I might vocal tune your vocals if I'm mixing it, if I think that something's really off and it's taking away from the mix. Like, if a backing vocal is so out of key that it's distracting in the mix, no matter what I do in the mix, then I might tune that vocal, but I'm not about to tune your entire song. At that point, there is a fee. And that is something I do communicate with clients. Like, oh, do you need like auto-tune or is all that printed? They're like, oh yeah, everything's taken care of. All right, cool. No worries. I just want to let you know, like in case you need me to manually tune something, like I could do like a few things. I just won't tune the whole song without a fee. You know, and that has actually saved me more times because I've been getting... um, a lot of guys lately, but I typically would work with like a lot of girls, like female artists and everything because of my past work and stuff. And a lot of times they want Melodyne and I don't mind it. I just mind it when it's hours worth of Melodyne work. And, and for me, the way that I've coped with that or resolved that issue, because I, I guess added, piggybacking onto that, one of the mistakes that for me may not be the mistake for you, but this was a mistake for me. I'm significantly happier and more okay with doing Melodyne because I charge enough from the beginning. And yeah. even if I had to Melodyne something for a couple hours, um, I'd be okay with it. Yeah. and that's Because I'm charging it. enough, right? Yeah. And But I, I don't think that was the case two, three years ago. Yeah, exactly. Like, as you grow, your rate changes, and that's okay, and that's going to factor in more things. Like, an assistant fee, for instance, might be the reason your rate, your rate went up. Let's say you were charging 400 bucks and you went up to 500 bucks. Those 100 bucks might just be paying for your assistant to prep everything to kind of pre-melodyne things that are already out of pocket and everything. Um, and that makes sense. But you can't expect your clients to kind of know that in advance, like what is included, what is not included, what part of your rate is. You could have it on your website and say, hey, just a, I'm going to send you a form that just says, hey, we're agreeing to do business. It could be a simple Google form that says name, uh, uh, name of song. Uh, this is what you're agreeing to mixing. This is what's included. Please just check off that you understand what's included, what's not included. That way, if you really wanted to have a paper backup, then you have it. I haven't really needed to do that outside of like maybe a couple label gigs. At that point, you're really just emailing back and forth and they're letting you know like, hey, can you take care of this? It's like, actually, that's a separate fee. Like mixing doesn't include that. You know, and they typically used to this because they're working with enough people that they kind of understand like certain standards, like 
certain engineers do it, certain engineers don't. And they ask the questions in advance because if they're paying out a ton of money for a ton of different projects, they kind of want to be fiscally responsible with the budget for the artists. Of course, of course. Yeah. So, like, L- by the way, label game is way different than like it's very game. different. Yeah. So we're not yeah. even going to get into. But that's I'm, I'm like. still making mistakes for the label game and figuring that shit out. <laughs> uh, but last, lastly, for me, if it's okay, yeah. Uh, number five, number five, um, the mistake that I made, and this is not necessarily a mistake. Mm, it's more of like I wish that I did it a little bit different. Is I wish I was more open to being taught. I, I had this big complex even at the beginning of this podcast and maybe to this day now that I've gotten older and I've been doing this for a long time um, but I had a big complex at the beginning of my career where I was so tired of being seen as the young kid that didn't know what to do Mm -hmm. it was like if I took everything really personal I was really emotionally immature I wish that I was more humble and accepted that other people were significantly better than me because you only see how bad you were in retrospect, yeah, you don't see how bad you are in the moment, right? So I wish, and uh, this is not something that I was able to do. I wasn't smart enough and self-aware enough to, or cared enough to do this. But I wish that I had sought. A part of me wishes that I sought uh, more work as an assistant, mm-hmm. as a helper, as an intern, at least for a little bit. Yeah. Um, now there's no point of me doing it, and I'm doing okay. So it's not like a mistake that changed the path of my career forever. But it is like one of those things where I wish I was a little bit more humble and took the time to learn from others for a little bit longer. Take the time to do the, quite honestly, sometimes the boring work of shadowing another engineer, really taking the time to take notes more often. Um, Going into the other competitive, because I had a studio, so I created competitors. Mm -hmm. By having a studio, what happened is I immediately had competitors and I saw them as competitors. And I had this like, I didn't have that quite, abundance mentality quite yet. I was still too emotionally immature for that. I, I had that scarcity mentality and I didn't want to be affiliated or to work with the other bigger studio yeah. in the area. And I wish I did. I wish I didn't see no. them as competitors. I wish I collaborated more. I wish I accepted that they know more than me and he's been doing this for 30 years. Yeah. And I could have, you know, gotten paid faster. I could have gotten jobs faster. I could have gotten yeah. bigger credits faster. I, could, I might, I don't know, can't speak on their behalf, but I might have been more traditionally trained. Maybe mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why I'm doing so well now is because I'm, I was a lot more independently trained, right? Yeah. I don't know. It, it's not so much a mistake that I made that was negatively, negatively affected my career, but I do feel a sense of FOMO, a sense of regret for not taking more time to genuinely learn from more people that knew what I was talking about in person. I'm not talking about Mixed with the Masters or YouTube. I I learned a shit ton from Mixed with the Masters, both online and in person and and YouTube, right? But I wish I was humble enough to look for assistant positions sooner, Mm -hmm. to recognize that that was even an opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) Because I really felt this pride that like everybody's a competitor Mm-hmm. and I didn't want to work for anybody else. And, and that was like that entrepreneurial pride thing, which, which also was beneficial, but in different ways. Anyway, um, there's something in there that I wish I was a little bit more humble at the beginning, and I wish I didn't feel like I knew everything, at least so openly. Yeah. Um, because there's also that confidence and ignorance that did a lot of good too. Yeah. But um, a little bit of FOMO, because now it's like I feel a little bit guilty that I never assisted for someone. Yeah, I, I feel like that sometimes too. Um, and anybody, I did, yeah, go, sorry. Yeah. yeah, like I did 
become like people's go-to person, at which point, like I worked with people of a higher class and uh, I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm a huge fan of just throw me in the fire. Like, let me burn a little. Like, I like to get singed because I learn very quickly when I'm under pressure, um, which is probably why I ended up in a lot of bigger rooms than, you know, some of my friends that started around the same time as me. It's just because I was willing to just burn. Uh, if I crashed and burned, it wasn't really the end of the day for me. But because of those opportunities, I got to work with like people like Alice Cooper and all them uh, through like uh, working with. Um, uh, oh, man. I forget, I'm forgetting his name. Other I, big I, name. Yeah, yeah. Basically a big time producer for like the rock scene and everything when I first started out. And the cool thing is like, because I was a guy that was into rock and played in bands, like that was a perfect opportunity for me to be like the actual like, uh, I was his assistant engineer, but there was no head engineer. I was yeah. the only engineer. But because of that, I was recording drums. I was time aligning. I was doing all these kind of things that I'd never done for anybody before, but that was his standard. And because of that, it really pushed me to learn things that I've never seen anybody else do, things I didn't even think were an option to do. Um, part of these assistant gigs and like being somebody's personal engineer sometimes makes it to where it's like, yo, there's literally nobody else here for them to call. You you are the call. So you have to know this. You know, what's interesting is, is that I've never met someone that has history of assisting for someone big even. Mm -hmm. That has been like, yeah, you should assist. Yeah. They, they, every single one of them has yeah. always said, well, if you're making a living from it, like, you don't need to assist. In fact, I wouldn't. Yeah. Like a lot but, of, so it's like, a lot of I people, wonder if it's just me. You know, I feel like, I feel like I'm no, I think, I insecure think it's, about it because I didn't, you know, I, I think it's kind of like safe to say it's both because um, part of it is the reason that you go to assist is to learn and to understand how the business works. If you're already making a living, then at the very least, you understand how to make a financial living off of it. Um, you at least know how to run your own side of the business. But part of the assisting thing is learning efficiency. The reason they can afford to have an assistant, the reason they can afford to have their own studio, the reason that they can afford to do nothing else but that um, and still be able to task other people in their team. Like they might have their own uh, hostess in the front and they might have their own runners and everything. It's like, what does it take to actually run that? Yeah. That's the benefit of being an assistant, you know, understanding how to deal with the label and how to communicate with different A&Rs, booking the studios for whatever reasons and how to run. Like when uh, his name was Greg Hampton, I remembered it after the fact, but I remember we had a session where three sessions were running at the same time at different studios. And he left me at one studio to hop to the other two to make sure one studio was recording drums, one studio was recording vocals and the other studio was recording guitar rhythm and leads all on the same day because we were all working on a label deadline and everything. And part of that is like learning how to actually manage those expectations, how one person can actually oversee three different sessions going on for one production on the same day and how to like organize everybody, make sure that everybody's hitting the mark that day. You know, all the money that's being invested, where is it coming from? How is it being invoiced? Where is your role and how do you, how do you fit? Um, I think that's what I got out of like learning to assist, Yeah, you know? Now, so what is your number five? Uh, my number five, um, they, it's kind of funny. I had a one extra in case I needed one extra in case there was overlap, but it kind of ties into itself anyways. Um, I argued value of price with a client versus negotiating a happy medium. I think uh, 
part of uh, what makes this industry work is just communication. Like we've repeated multiple times, right? But part of that is also like, I can't really afford your rate. And I hate to say it, but there's a lot of people that probably can't afford your rate, whether it's expensive or not. Like even at $200 per mix days, we were finding people trying to lowball us at a hundred bucks. At 2000, you're going to see people trying to offer you a thousand. You know, it, it doesn't really matter. You're going to see it at every stage. But there's a method of communicating with people that's effective. And there's a method that just drives them away. And a lot of times um, I spoke with yes, but. And only later in my career did I speak with yes and. The difference being that with yes, but you're defending. But when you say yes and you're explaining the reasoning and giving the logic behind it. It's like your mixes are $500 per song. Yes. And the reason for that is that I have assistance that I need to pay. I actually have quite a bit of projects that I have to schedule out in order for me to actually take this on. I can't really do it for a lesser rate as that would not only take food out of my assistance pocket, but I would now be likely to do a disservice to you. I put so much attention and detail to it that the only way I can really make sense of it is if I can dedicate a certain amount of time to it. But if I were to lower my rate, I'd have to like dedicate less time to try to compensate for it and everything. And it's just doing the service for you. So the reason it is, is because I just don't want to do something at a lesser value for you. Yeah. You know, yes. And explains the reasoning and you're, you're agreeing with them. Yes, it is expensive. And let me tell you why. But when you say yes, but the reason for it, it's like, yes, but I want more. Yeah. I want more. It's not, it's not that I'm doing anything for you. It's because I want more when you say, but so interesting, yeah, not being able to find a happy medium. It's like, yes. And the reason for it is this and that it's like, cool. Well, I can't really afford it. Okay. Let's find a solution. Is there any gear that you're not using that you maybe want to like put as a uh, part of it? Maybe you can pay me $300 that you have and maybe have like uh, a really nice reverb pedal or something that I'm looking for or something of that nature. Or maybe you can give me points on a project if that's, if it's that relevant of an artist or not. Um, like if you're and I hate to say it to most artists, but if, if you're at a point where you're only getting a thousand streams, offering points is like offering a, a minute. It's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, nothing. Uh, it's it's not really much, but there's always a solution. There's never really a problem as long as the solution exists. So if the problem is your price and things of that nature, um, you don't have to argue your price. You just have to find a solution. Yeah, that, that's super true. Good point. I, I want to this is there's a couple other things. Small. um Small things that I think I want to talk about some mistakes that I made. This is mm-hmm. this sounds really sad, but I mean this in a practical sense. Um, I think I made some mistakes believing people too early in the game. For example, yeah. this is really harsh, mm-hmm. but I will never take points unless you have a history of your points doing anything in the past. That's logical. Yeah, like, no, no, but I used to take, I used to get overexcited mm-hmm. and just believe in people way too early. Oh, I see. And then they, they, they either burn. I mean, think about this. For example, a mistake that that's not really a mistake. It's a, it costs very little, but, um, there was another segment of the podcast Yeah, and they both promised to do a long time and they were committed to it. They were very excited. And I, I made the mistake often of mistaking enthusiasm for commitment. Yeah. And there's a big difference. And when an artist comes to me now in my time in my career says, but I'm one song away from blowing up, bro. When I was younger, that may meant something. Yeah. But now I don't give a flying fuck. Yeah. I hate to say, but like 
that that enthusiasm is is beautiful at a beginning stage of our career. Yeah, because um, if you're not going to respect me when you're broke, you're definitely not going to respect me when you have money. Exactly. Absolutely not. Exactly. So um, I wish that I, not that I was too trusting, but I wish that I wasn't so easily convinced by enthusiasm. So, that, By the way, that segment, 19 yeah. episodes they gave up completely. 19 yeah. episodes. We're on episode 300, 300 plus. Yeah. Well, I mean, including the private ones. So 235 it's, plus so of public ones. kind of funny. I've been tagging us in comments lately where uh, people will ask like, oh, maybe DK or Luno. It's like, yeah, here's the answer. And if you'd like to learn more, uh, here's a Mixing Music podcast for you. Yeah, We've got over 300 episodes that can help you. So uh, use the search bar. But I mean, yeah, I wish, and this was even with the assistant, I, I briefly touched on it. The one who fucked up so badly that him and I both got three death threats. The, the reason why mm. we got those three is because he fucked up so bad. I was the one that was trying to pass him work when mm-hmm. we first moved to LA. He fucked them so badly that they came to me as the person that recommended him. Yeah. So, so, and you, you, you were very yeah. there for yeah, these yeah. situations. You remember that situation. Um, I wish, and I had known these people for so long. They were very super enthusiastic, happy-go-lucky. Quite frankly, some of the dumbest people I've ever met now in retrospect. Mm-hmm. But, um, they were just super enthusiastic, really kind of gave off that positive thing. And I was convinced I was, I put all my, yeah. I put all my tokens, all my bets into all them. Your eggs and into I wish I basket. Did I shouldn't yeah. have done that. So I think that makes it an, uh, I think that's an honorable mutual mention where it's, uh, I think a huge thing that people really undervalue is the level of a recommendation and the effect it has on your career. Um, I forget who it was. I forget who it was. Somebody in the studio had recommended somebody and it really didn't work out. Um, and like I told them. Oh, yeah. Mistaking, I, mistakenly recommending someone who isn't qualified. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I remember telling them, like, you realize I can't look at you the same when you make a recommendation now, right? Like your recommendation was that bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it wasn't like malintent or malcommunication kind of thing. It's just, yo, like your recommendation carries so much weight. Like when somebody really believes in you and you just send whoever, like understand you could have broken a bond for that person that you referred them to. Yeah. Like, um, that's why a lot of times people are like, Oh, who do you recommend for recording? I'm very selective about it just for that exact reason. Yeah. Outside of, yeah, I wish, I wish, um, yeah. So for that exact reason, sorry, I didn't, no, no, you're good. Someone started calling me and I I got distracted there. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I've I don't know if I've accidentally recommended someone that went that poorly, but I've been recommended people. Yeah. That was just like they weren't even able to cuz I asked someone for recommendations to solve a problem and yeah. I had someone so enthusiastically recommend someone. I get excited, they get excited, they're hyping them up, I get them, they're unable to solve that problem. Uh-huh. It's not about it's not about whether or not the person was good or bad. I need a problem to solve and they're so unqualified that they can't even solve that problem which makes me super upset at the person that recommended them because now it just seems like they're liars yeah so yeah so i wish again i wish i wasn't so the honorable mention for me is i wish that i wasn't so easily swayed by enthusiasm if you want me to accept points on behalf of a discount of my work i want to see on paper a history of how much money you've made from points in the past yeah i'm not going to invest in a product like even like think about it. If I'm not going to invest in your new 3D printed 
fidget toy unless I see <laughs> the income that you've made from it. Yeah. Until I see the profits on paper. Yeah. Show me the consistency that you're actually moving product and then we can talk about it. But like investing, it's almost like the scam artists on Instagram where it's like, hey, invest in this startup business. You'll make millions. It's like, great. Um, if that's the case, why are you why are you pitching it to people on Instagram? Why aren't you looking for like venture capitalists and everything that can give you a lot more a lot faster in a single transaction well just there, there's a lot to be there's a lot of nuance to be said about that about no, like how much they control what you yeah. take over your company and things like that but that being said um people aren't looking at it that way i wish i wish i personally i can't i can't get people to be less enthusiastic their enthusiasm is part of the reason why they're doing so well potentially yeah. but i wish that i from the beginning i was too easily swayed by enthusiasm now I could be borderline not enthused enough. Like, you know, think, but the point is I'm safer yeah. now. I haven't been burned. I'm not going to take people. And I, and there's also this mutual respect at higher levels. Nobody's over, like everybody's pretty realistic. Like they're yeah. happy and they're passionate. Passion is different from enthusiasm. Yeah. And, and they're not trying to, because enthusiasm is more about like selling me something. Yeah. Or passion is just like, I don't give a shit about the sale. I'm willing to spend the money. I just want to have a good job done. Yeah. Because I really, truly from the core believe in this. Yeah. Where it's like enthusiasm is more like, I don't have any sort of, I have a sandy foundation, but like, believe, trust me, bro. Trust yeah. me, bro. Trust me. Like, just believe. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's my honorable mention. Do you have an honorable mention? Yes. And I think we always touch on this one, which is kind of funny because- like, I hate to be a broken record, but um, bought gear to promote my business at an early stage. Mm. Mm. It's not the gear that brings clients. It, it, it is and it isn't, but there's a very, the very stage? specific reason. There's a very specific reason. And, I, and I'll say it like this. Um, I think Neighborhood Watch does a very good job at this, which is putting like a C800 and some. But that's barefoot. specific to LA. That's specific, that's specific to, LA. to LA. And that's why I'm saying like at an early stage, this is dangerous because but, you need to know what you're investing in and what your ROI on that is and how that ROI really applies to your specific business. Like if you're a mixer and your mixes suck balls. It doesn't matter if you have an SSL G-Bus Plus or anything. It doesn't matter if you have Augsburger mains because the chances are the clients that saw you with that gear are like, oh, crap, he's got good stuff. He must be doing something right. Cool. And that illusion is kind of there, but that will not keep the client. You have to be good. So buying stuff to promote who you are without being able to actually have a tangible, audible playlist that actually sells it then you just look like another guy that rented a studio to take photos in. You could have done the same thing, literally booking time at Paramount, take photos in front of the console, and it would have been all the same. You don't have to buy a tube tech CL1B as the first compressor you buy. Yeah, I will say that that is uniquely LA as yeah. far as like having gear. And it's specific to like booking, like owning a studio versus like having a mixing master. Exactly. And, and I will say though… Um, yeah, this industry is not an industry that is like, if you buy it, they will come. Yeah. Like, if if you buy the gear, you will build clients. There's, especially in long term. In the short term, if you build and go into debt to yeah. have a super beautiful, professional-looking studio, yep. professional-looking setup, you might have a few more clients that are reaching out. Like when I, I went, I remember, I remember, I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would remember, I remember when I went from, my spare bedroom to a commercial location, mm -hmm. my income went up like three to four times. Yeah. Just because of the professionalism and the presentation of mm -hmm. having a client. But that only lasted 
about a year. After that, I had to like every single time I had a new face, I had to then further convince them that it was worth staying with me. Yeah. So if I didn't have the skill to back it up, I would have lost everything. Exactly. So the, it may help a little bit in the short term. It, the ROI, the, the the diminishing returns on that is just way super crazy. So exactly. it's not it's not really worth it. But if you are able to pull it off, you remember that. It's okay to get gear slowly because you also have to match yep. it with the skill in and order to maintain for long-term clientele. Yeah. Customers' and clientele. That that's why it's for. such an issue at an early stage. Like buying gear to promote yourself as an engineer, as a producer, whatever, at an early stage does not actually help. It, it can help find new customers, but it doesn't help you find new clients. And I've and I've said it before on the podcast. It's I know it's on Instagram and stuff. Like the difference between a, a customer and a client is a customer can go to any studio as long as they got the gear they're looking for. They can go anywhere, but they're they're not staying at that one studio just because they have the gear. Especially if you're in LA, everybody's got a Tube Tech CL1B. It doesn't really matter. Everybody's got a C800G, or if they do or don't, it doesn't really matter. If uh, you know how many times I've set up a studio or go to a studio session where like they got the C800D, they got the 1073, they got the CL1B, they've got everything you're looking for. And yet you can still hear the client telling the engineer like, hey, something's up with the sound. It just doesn't sound like how I normally sound. The funny thing is they could be recording normally on a $200 mic and you just put them up on a, on a very expensive chain. If you just don't know how to use it and get them to where they want to be, it doesn't really matter what it is. You can still fuck it up. So the gear will help you find new customers, but it's really on your skill set to make them clients, make them really stay. So at an early stage, you don't have to worry about, oh, I'm going to spend 50 grand on building out this studio, but I have no client base. That shouldn't be your concern. You should build a client base. It's kind of like what you've said in the past. A trip to Ikea will make you more money than a trip to Guitar Center, which is ultimately true because um, every time I'm like quoting out studios, they're all like, can I do backlighting? Can I do this? Can we do these kind of colors? Like you kind of see where the trends are going and what they want to see. And they almost never make a mention of a specific piece of gear. It's like almost afterthought. Yeah. Like they don't ever ask about the computer. It's usually afterthought. I usually have to ask them like, what kind of computer do they want? Oh, uh, like a Mac Pro. Okay, do you know like what specs? Uh, a good one. It's like, cool. You're mainly, you're mainly focused on the vibe of the studio. Yep. So, like, don't worry about the CL1B. Take those $3,600 or if you're going to buy aftermarket, take those six grand and invest in creating a space that not only is you know, acoustically well, that's going to help you with your current system, but also creates a vibe for your clients to really enjoy a space to work with you in. Yeah, I agree. I agree that yeah. that is aesthetics is, is very important. Like the, the level of professionality as well as organization, which typically, typically also conveys organization with clients. Like if your yeah. room is messy, you're probably not emailing people back in, in time. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably not texting people back. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> but so that's why, like, it's like I, get your shit together. Yeah. And it kind of shows. Anyway, um, sorry, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say that's why I think, like, Neighborhood Watch does a really good job at it because their, their whole market is like booking studios, so, like, really cost effective studios. Like, we're on their platform, both our A and B room. Um, and the whole idea is like, hey, we have tons of ways for you to book. We make it customer friendly or user friendly to, to be able to book it. It's kind of on a list. So you have to kind of be vetted before you can book. Um, all these things are really great and it just creates a better experience for the client. All the studios having the same gear really just kind of proves like at the end of the day, if a client starts booking your studio on their same platform regularly, it's because they really like your studio. Something about them has built a relationship with that client. Yeah. And, and to end this episode off, 
I think it's it's insane. I'm I'm sure anybody that if you've made it this far, maybe you, and if you're a longtime fan of the podcast, you would have realized this. But this podcast is all about educating you and helping you set expectations for the real world of audio engineering. Um, so if you're pursuing this as a hobby, this list may not be like if you're wanting if you have a day job and you just do this for fun and you don't care about getting paid at all. Maybe this list wasn't very helpful for you. But yeah. I will say. I want to point out for those that are newer, and this is the first time you've listened to any episodes, I want to reemphasize this. If you are trying to build a career in music, both uh, Lou and I have been doing this full time since we were in our mid to early 20s, yeah. right? So this is, I think that we're, we're definitely in the top 1% of all engineers across the world, right? <laughs> Easily. And I want to say, I want to say that the way to get there is not gear. None of our regrets and mistake is I chose the wrong DAW. I chose the wrong. I didn't get plugins soon enough. Yeah. I didn't get an external preamp and recorded with an external compressor fast enough. None of that shit actually matters. Even in retrospect, no, but in fact, our mistake is Lou's fifth mistake or the honorable mention was he thought it mattered more. It, yeah. it mattered too much. And in the real practical world of making a living from this shit we don't even have to mention gear software or the tools because those are no-brainers and have so little to no effect on our work that it's more of a mistake to care than it yeah. is to not which is insane to me and i know that that's what gets clicks but remember most people are hobbyists and yeah. we this is something that's really really brutal but I teach groups of students. Most people, if you look around, most people, they say that they're really wanting to do this. They, if there's a group project, one person in the group does all the work still. Yeah. Even if everybody in the group is like, I really want to do this. It's not that hard to be better than everybody else. You just have to be a little bit more on the ball. Like you have to answer emails a little bit faster. You have to be a little bit more efficient. You have to like yeah. care a little bit more. It's not that hard to do well with music as far as like from a self-awareness perspective. And most people think it's about the DAWs and the plugins. Well, I'm here to tell you as a professional as the guy that has what you want, a full-time career mixing and mastering. I'm going to tell you right now, I've never talked to anybody at my level and beyond that has been like, it was the tools. It was the plugins. I wish I used Pro Tools faster. I wish I went to school or I wish I didn't go to school. I wish I did blah. blah. Those are all so superficial and in the long run, don't get matter at all. Ever. Ever. Yeah. And in fact, it hurts you. So, so I think that's, I think I want to end with that. Yeah. Um, shout out to our sponsors, Tegler, AutoTune, FilePass. Again, go to mixingmusicpodcast.com. We have discounts. We have, uh, for all of these products, um, yeah. we don't recommend you products like FilePass if it didn't make us money. We don't recommend you AutoTune if we didn't have a discount for AutoTune yeah. or whatever. Like so, the most common mic we use is Lot and Audio, and we use them literally for, today we're using SM7Bs. There's one under repair right now, but. That's mine. You know, realistically speaking, like <laughs> we, we don't use recommend what stuff. we like. Yeah, we yeah. don't recommend stuff unless yeah. we like it and unless we, and like for me, unless it makes me money. So like FilePass has genuinely made me money, which is why I recommend it. Yep. Mixingmusicpodcast.com. Go to resources, check out our sponsors. And if you like this episode and want to hear more like this, make sure that you leave a five-star uh, five star rating. Not just a rating, if you're on a platform that allows for a review, View, mm -hmm. tell, tell me what episode you liked and what why you liked it so we can make more of those episodes. As 
as well as a couple sentences is going to help boost our platform, boost our podcast on that platform. Um, so we thank everybody. We, we see the numbers going up. We thank everybody who's taken the time, so courteous to take the time and so selfless to do something like that for us. Um, we hope we're grateful for any sort of return of investment in that, in that sense. So appreciate y'all. We love you. Happy mixing my friends and stay saucy. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.